This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Turn with me to the book of John, and we're going to begin in chapter 11. We've been going through the gospel of John, verse by verse, one chapter at a time. And uh, today we're going to pick up right where we left off which is in examining the evidence that John has provided us about Jesus being the Messiah. Throughout the gospel, we've encountered this evidence. We've encountered ways in which we've seen Jesus back up claims of his divinity and his Messiahship, of him being the Messiah, the the anointed one, the Christ, the son of the living God. In response to the people's question, the people have come to him and said, can this be the Christ? Well, John, the author of this gospel, resounds with a big yes, and we say yes to that as well. But what's interesting about the Gospel of John in relationship to all the other Gospels is that John constructs his narrative in a particular way that demonstrates why Jesus is the Messiah and how that is. We might call these or refer to these these signs as proof or as what some call the seven signs of John. And I want to put them up there for you. We've looked at them throughout this series, the first one being Jesus changing the water into wine. Uh, Jesus healing the royal official's son. Jesus healing the paralytic at the pool. Jesus feeding over 5,000 with fishes and loaves. Jesus walking on the water. Jesus healing a man born blind. And then today we're going to look at the seventh one, which is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. The title of my message today is Jesus is the resurrected one. Jesus is the resurrected one. Turn with me to John 11, beginning in verse 1. It says this, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother, Lazarus, that was ill. Verse three, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. I want you to underline that or swipe that or highlight that in your Bibles. It is for the glory of God so that the Son may be glorified through it. I want to say to us right at the outset of my message today that there are many things in life that you and I commonly face that I think we can agree on that don't always make a whole lot of sense. Right, Stuff that happens, things that break out in our lives that don't always make sense. We could say it's our pain. Oftentimes the things that we suffer from, our suffering, our pain, the moments when we don't get what we want or think we get what we want or what we think we deserve. But I want to say to us today right at the beginning of this message that all of that can be, can be a setup for the glory of God if, and that's a big conditional if, if we are willing to trust God in the midst of our circumstance. I want to ask you right now at the beginning of this message, what are you trusting God with right now in your life? What are you trusting God with? Could it be that maybe what you're going through and maybe what you're facing, whether it's an obstacle or a challenge or a frustration, might be the very setup for Jesus to do the miraculous in your life? That's the question I want us to wrestle with today. And that's exactly what we see Mary and Martha wrestling with here. They cry out to Jesus in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their anguish. Lord, he who you love is sick. He's ill. He's suffering. He's going through pain. Can I tell you something? The best thing to do 
when you're going through pain is to cry out to Jesus. The best thing that you can do when you're going through a crisis of faith is to cry out to Jesus. And as believers, as followers of Jesus, this is what we're challenged to do over and over and over, to be a people of faith, not just feelings, but to be a people that are willing to cry out to Jesus when we go through the unexpected, when pain comes knocking, when suffering visits our door, when we're not sure what to do next, when we need a miracle. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody today that might need a miracle in their life. We cry out to him. We cry out to Jesus. One of the reasons that I love the Psalms, and we looked at a really big one last week, a real challenging one, Psalm 82, but one of the reasons that I love the Psalms is that the Psalms provides us the language, and I would say to us the permission to cry out, to even lament when things are not okay. A lot of people think faith is a denial of when things are okay. Well, you just got to put on a good face and, and just kind of bare your teeth and get through it. I would say faith is not a denial of facts. It's not a denial of feelings. It's not a denial of circumstance, but it's an appeal to a greater power, to a greater source, to a greater reality who can walk upon the waves, who can silence every storm and who's in the midst of it with us that he might be glorified. Could, be, could it be that what we're facing is a setup for his glory? And the Psalms point us to that and they give us language to express that. And then surprisingly, they point us to hope, to a God who enters into this life with us and then through his own life and through the life of his son gives us resurrection. Just as we saw with the blind man, Jesus sees an opportunity here for the father to be glorified by what's taken place with his friend, with Lazarus. He says it this way, it is for the glory of God. Notice, once again, Jesus doesn't say that God caused the illness, that God caused the sickness, that God caused the pain, but only that he could be glorified in and through it. And we're about to discover why that is today. Verse five. Now Jesus loved Mary and loved Martha and loved Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that at the moment he finds out his friend's sick, he waits an extra two days? Full stop. Are you telling me that Jesus purposefully delayed his visitation here? Yes. That's what the text tells us. Can I tell you something? Don't be surprised by God's delays. Don't be surprised by God's delays. Probably easier said than done, right? But don't be surprised because his timing is not our timing. And as Isaiah the prophet proclaims, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And this is the struggle. This is what I think uh, causes us to take matters into our own hands and to rush to conclusions and to try to force outcomes. And how's that working out for you? Some of us get disillusioned in our faith because we haven't yet learned how to wait on the Lord's timing. And it's why we tend to get angry or even disappointed when we don't see the results we want because we often, as great as we are with all of our education and pedigree, we often lack eternal perspective. We often lack the ability to see things the way that God sees things. We're limited and we're finite and we experience the world through time and through space, often in a linear fashion. Uh, last night I was watching a movie with, with my daughter Cora. Anybody ever seen the movie Interstellar? Came out like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. 
And it's about this idea, this concept that, that time isn't just linear, time is actually spatial and that it has dimensions to it. And what I love about it is they get into this black hole, right? They enter into this wormhole and kind of like time and space folds up on itself. And the main character played by Matthew McConaughey is able to like visit the past and then see the future and like all these amazing things. Because what? He has perspective outside of time and space because he's not limited. And in the same way, God is not limited the way that we are, which means that we need to trust the Lord in what we're going through and we need to trust the Lord with the details of our lives because God sees things from a non-limited perspective, amen? Which makes the disciples' reaction to what Jesus is about to do next all the more dramatic. Verse seven, then after this, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. So Jesus has purposefully delayed his visitation by two days. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, teacher, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. As you guys have seen throughout chapter 9 and chapter 10, Jesus has made claims of being God the Father, of being one with the Father, of being the great I am before Abraham was I am. And they pick up stones and they're trying to stone him and they're trying to arrest him. And so Jesus and his crew have left Jerusalem and now they're out in the countryside and Jesus is about to go back into Jerusalem. Uh, just so you guys know, geographically, Bethany is actually on the Mount of Olives, on the, the backside of the Mount of Olives. So he's about to enter back into Judea and confront what's happening here. And so he answers, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks around in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So a couple of interesting things I want to note here. We know from the last two chapters that the people and authorities were ready to stone Jesus and arrest Jesus. So Jesus going back to this place is not exactly the safest move. But notice his response. If anyone, if anyone... If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of this world. Jesus is obviously referring to himself here. He's already made the claim multiple times that he is the light of the world. And he's saying that despite how dangerous Judea might be and how despite how, despite how dangerous your world might be and what you're facing might be, the safest bet, the, the, the best move you can make is to follow the sun is to follow the light of the world. And I would say to us, for anybody watching this message online or listening, if you're trying to live your light apart from Christ, if you're trying to live your life apart from him, you're living in the dark. You're stumbling around, fumbling around, trying to, to maneuver and trying to make sense of things that you cannot make sense of unless you're willing to come into the light. And that only happens when we follow the sun. He continues in verse 11. After saying these things, he said to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. So they obviously miss what Jesus is doing here and what he's referring to. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, verse 13, but they thought that he meant that Lazarus was actually in sleep, that he was resting. And then Jesus told them very plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Once again, purpose from pain. But let us go to him. And so Thomas, called the twin in Greek, it's, it's Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go 
that we may die with him. So Lazarus has died. The disciples didn't know it. In fact, nobody even told Jesus that he had died. So we're left to imply that Jesus has special knowledge of what has happened because of his what? Special and unique relationship with God the Father. As we saw last week, the Father and I are one, Jesus says. So Jesus knows what's taken place because of his relationship with the Father. And because Lazarus has died, Jesus is about to do his seventh major work and miracle here. So that, verse 15 tells us, we may believe. And interestingly enough, out of all the disciples, who is it here that's willing to follow Jesus back to Jerusalem, back into danger, and perhaps even lose their life for him? It's Thomas, doubting Thomas, the guy that we kind of harp on for needing to see the holes, right? That needs proof. Here he is, exhibiting courage, exhibiting, exhibiting bravery, which tells me that you can be courageous one day and you can be doubting the next. You can be like Elijah the prophet on top of the mountain slaying the prophets of Baal and then hiding from the evil queen. I think Thomas gets a bad rap. But here he is willing to die with Jesus. Or at least that's what he's professed. Which means that those of us who have this courage today need to be careful about what tomorrow brings. Which is why we need to stick close to Jesus, because our faith and our courage is not in our faith and in our courage. Our faith is in Jesus. Our faith is in the one that we're following. Notice that Thomas doesn't begin to doubt until he's separated from Jesus. But when he's with Jesus, come on, he's got courage to follow. And that should be an encouragement to us and a warning to all of us that our faith is in the one that we're following. As an aside, Beware of those that would pull you away from your faith or that would cause you to doubt or cause you to grow distant from God's household of faith. And I've seen it time and time again when people come in and seek to divide, whether it be through gossip or whether it be through anger or, or hurt or unreconciled pain, where they begin to pull people away from the body of Christ, which is the church, Jesus' body expressed on this earth, you and I. So be careful because we see what happens when people begin to grow distant from the household of faith, then they begin to grow in their unbelief and then their doubt and then that leads to deconstruction and then all this unnecessary pain and havoc enters into the story. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Jesus delays his visit two days and here we see that he's been dead for four Bethany was near Jerusalem, as I pointed out. It's on the Mount of Olives, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and had come to Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Full stop. Lord, if only you had been here. How many times have you and I said that? God, if only you would have done this. God, if only you would have done that. If only this would have happened, my life would have turned out better. If only coach would have put me in, we could have won state. Napoleon Dynamite reference. If only, if only, if only. How many times do we wrestle with the what ifs in life? Well, what if God, this had happened? Or what if you had done this and what, right? Right? 
all of us can relate to Martha here. We can relate to this. But the problem is not in the response. The problem is not even asking the question, Lord, if only you had been here. The problem is when we get stuck there. The problem is, the problem is when we, we get stuck there. The problem is when we allow the what-ifs in our life to begin to derail our faith and begin to derail our trust and begin to shake us from our firm foundation, which is in Christ Jesus. The problem is when then we begin to take matters into our own hands. And I think Martha often gets a bad rap in her story for being like the busy bee, right? The worry wart in the kitchen while uh, Mary is postured at Jesus's feet, right? Learning, uh, taking the, the posture of a disciple, worshiping. But I think Martha gets a bad rap, and and here's why. Notice what Martha says and does here in the next verse, verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Do you notice the exchange here? She goes, if only you had been here, God, but still, I know this. Whatever you ask will be given. Can I tell you what faith? What faith? Her brother has just died. He's in the tomb. He's in the coffin. He's been put away. And yet here she is exhibiting her faith in Jesus. Verse 24. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, Martha, I am. Here's another I am statement from Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. So I want to praise Martha here because Martha gets it right. She turns her questions and her worry and her her, her posturing of what ifs into worship. She takes her sorrow and she turns it into praise. She turns her questions into declarations of faith and trust. Did you catch it? Verse 22, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. And then in verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. I want to say to some of us today who are wrestling with things that have unfolded in our lives, maybe unexpectedly, that you hold on to your faith, that you hold on to your trust, that you hold on to Jesus. No matter what the circumstances say, no matter what the the facts say, Martha here holds on to Jesus. She says, I know and I believe. I know and I believe. She gets it right. And notice what is sandwiched right between her two faith statements. It's the truth and reality that I think changes everything for us. And we see it right here in verse 25. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Notice Jesus' response to her faith. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes, whoever, whoever believes, though they die, yet Will they live? And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You guys, this is huge because it changes everything. 
This statement changes everything. At the time, in the first century, most Jews believed in a future resurrection, except for perhaps the Sadducees. Sadducees did not believe in a future resurrection. But most first century Jews did, and they believed in that future resurrection. But here, Jesus is clearly stating and demonstrating to her that that future resurrection, that expectant hope that they had, has now broken into the present time and is standing right in front of her in the person of Jesus. He says, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. What you hope for, what seems distant to you, is now here in front of you because he is who he says he is, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the resurrection and the life. And I'm here to tell you today that no matter what you're going through in this moment, no matter what you face in the days ahead, Jesus is your resurrection and Jesus is your life. He's the only one that can bring you from death to life. He's the only one that can bring you from darkness of night into the light of day. He's the only one that has power to bring beauty from your ashes and move you from a place of sorrow into joy because he is the resurrected one. He is the resurrected one. And for some of you guys here today, that's what you need. You need a resurrection. You need a resurrection of faith. You need a resurrection of hope. You need a resurrection of dreams. You need a new start. You need a new beginning to your story. You need a fresh chapter. And Jesus is standing before you today and crying out to you. He's saying it's time to come out of that grave of unbelief. It's time to come out of that grave of doubt. It's time to come out of that grave and believe again. Because everyone who believes will not die but live. Everyone. And when Jesus says everyone, he means everyone. No matter how you identify, he loves you and he accepts you right where you are if you'll believe in him. What a promise. And when Jesus says whoever believes, he means whoever. He doesn't qualify it. You don't have to be smart, rich, got your act together. You don't have to wait to get cleaned up before you come to church. Come on. He accepts you right where you are and he says, come to me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the one that you've been searching for. And I'm the only one that can bring you from where you are to where you need to be. Some of you are here today and you're watching this and, and, and maybe even listening to this online. And this is exactly what God's been saying to you. The book of De Deuteronomy chapter 13 verse 19 says it this way. Today I have given you the choice. Here it is. Life or death, blessing or curses. And now I call on heaven and I call on earth to witness the choice that you make. You see, friends, it's your choice to make what you choose. But then he gives us a little clue as to which one we should choose. But choose life that you and your offspring or your descendants may live. Jesus is the resurrection and he's the life. And he's saying to some of you today, you need to choose life. You need to start investing in life. Some of us who've put our faith in stock markets and 401ks are gonna be sadly disappointed when that all goes away. We need to choose life. Some of us who've been trusting our own ability and our own, our own uh, aptitude to create wealth need to choose life. Some of us who are struggling right now need to choose life. He makes it very simple. Choose life and live 
And then he says, here's the promise that your descendants, your family, your offspring, the legacy of your choice will affect the trajectory of many generations to come. You see, I'm a product of two people who made a choice to choose life and live. And I wouldn't be standing here today if they didn't. And for some of you, you're standing here today because someone chose life on your behalf and stood in that gap for you and made a decision that affected your ability to choose life. But here's the cool part. As the people of God, we don't get just to choose life for us. Come on, we get to be life carriers to others. And we get to speak life over people and over dreams and over our businesses and over our families and over our finances and over our marriages. And some of you don't realize the power that God has given you through Christ Jesus the Son living in you through the power of his spirit to declare this over the lives of other people. But come on, let's be a people that choose life. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you need to make that choice today. And how would you do that, Pastor Jason? It's real simple, by believing on the Son, by looking to him, by crying out to him, by doing what Martha did here in verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Romans 10, 13 assures each and every one of us when we do this, when we make that confession of faith, when we believe, we have this assurance, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We've been singing about it all morning. Yahweh, Adonai, Elohim, El Shaddai, Jesus. Come on, he's got many names. But he says all who call upon his name will be saved. Just a few moments, I want to lead some of us in a prayer to do that, to cry out to the resurrected one. Verse 28. And when she said this, when Martha said this, she went and she called upon her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher, the rabbi is here and he is calling for you, Mary. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village of Bethany, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. They followed her because they thought she was going to wallow in her grief. But verse 32 tells us, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said to him, Lord, if only you had been here, right? There we are again. If only you had been here, God, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her began to weep, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying. See, one of the most marvelous things about Jesus here is the fact that he enters into their pain and anguish with them. He enters into their grief, but he does so to liberate them from it. Isaiah 53, prophetically speaking about Jesus as the suffering servant, the man of sorrow, says this, he was despised and he was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse four, yet surely he has borne our grief and he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. Can I tell you this? Jesus knows what it's like to be in your shoes 
Because Jesus has entered into your pain and entered into your grief and he has carried them with you and on your behalf. Which tells me that God's with us even in the midst of the times where we think we're alone, even in the midst of the times when we think we're lost, even in the midst of the times when we're full of pain and sorrow and we've got more what ifs and more questions than answers. God is right there in the middle of it. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is this man of sorrows and he's well acquainted with grief and pain and suffering because he's been afflicted in every way. But he's also the resurrection and the life. He's the resurrected one who's shouting out to us from beyond our pain, from beyond our grief, on the other side of it. And he's saying, come out, come out. Your story is not over. Death is just an intermission to what comes next. A final act is approaching, a new day is dawning. Joy is coming on the heels of the morning. Because, once again, he is the resurrected one. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved yet again, came to the tomb. He comes to the scene. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. I love just the foreshadowing right here. John is drawing our attention to what later we'll see Jesus do. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be such an odor, for he has been dead four days. In other words, she's saying, Jesus, this is impossible. It's impossible. And Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they did what Jesus asked and they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out and his hands and feet were still bound with the linen strips and his face was still wrapped with the cloth and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Perhaps Jesus is standing at the front of your tomb today and like with Lazarus, he's crying out. It's time to come out. It's time to come out. It's time to come out. It's time to answer the call. It's time to say yes because Jesus wants you to live and he wants you to go free. You see, Lazarus had been brought back to life, but Lazarus was still in his grave clothes. Some of you have been brought back to life, but you're still holding on to your grave clothes. What are grave clothes representative of, Pastor Jason? Hurts, unreconciled unforgiveness, baggage, Come on, maybe addictions, things that Jesus wants to set you free from. I love that Jesus' emphasis here wasn't just on him experiencing new life. It was also on him going free. And that's the heartbeat of God for us. That yes, all of us could come to the cross and make our declaration and profession of faith that he is the Christ, son of, of the living God, and believe on him and be saved, but not just be saved so that we can go on in our dead grave clothes but so that we can find freedom in him. 
And for some of you, you've been living in, in your, your grave clothes and Jesus wants to liberate you from them and he wants you to be unbound so that you can go free. The invitation to the cross is full healing and full restoration, body, soul, spirit, mind, every aspect of you being set free. And that's our hope, that for some of us who, who know that we can't save ourselves, that know that we can't clean up our own acts, how many of you have tried and failed? Yes, every single one of us can look to the resurrected one who is standing and knocking and crying out and saying, come out and go free. Come out and go free. Come out and go free. There's emphasis for both, and I love that. It means the invitation for all of us is to find freedom from hurt, to find freedom from habits and hangups and things that get us bound and caught up, to find freedom from all the things in our life that represent the old man. Paul says, put off the old man and put on the new. And that's the choice that he sets before each and every one of us, to throw ourselves on the resurrected one and to find freedom in him. But Jesus, if I let go of my hurt, and if I let go of that need to find revenge and to get my comeuppance, comeuppance against that, that person who wronged me, what else will I have left to hold on to? You'll have him. You get him, the resurrection and the life. Some of us are holding on to these things because we think in them we have power, that they, they give us some sense of validation or worth when what we're holding on to is grave clothes. Will we come out? Will we go free? Some of us need to let go of these things, and some of us need to go one step further, and we need to burn them. We need to allow God to do some serious, holy severance in our life, some serious purgation in our life, some serious destruction of the things that we once had appetites for that he has delivered us from. You're like, is he going to go there today? You know I'm going to go there today. For some of you caught up in pornography, this is the invitation. It's not just to not struggle. Come on, it's to burn your grave clothes. It's to allow God to destroy this thing in you that causes you to, to keep returning to the very thing that has you bound. I know this is an issue because I, I know the statistics. And not just for men, for women too. Come on, I'm speaking to all of us today. We live in a hypersexualized culture. It has caused us to hunger and thirst for things that we were never meant to hunger and thirst for. And I'm appalled by the numbers and statistics that tell me the average age of a child now that experiences pornography is now six to seven. We see it all the time. Families that we spend time with and counsel with. We've seen the destructive nature of this thing. And what is it? It's grave clothes. It's stuff that needs to be burned and destroyed. But can I tell you this? The only person that has the power to do it is Jesus because he is the resurrection and he is the life. And if you would cry out to him and call out to him, come on. And how do we do that? We, we do that not just in, on our knees when we're alone, but we do that when with, we're our brothers and sisters. What does John tell us to do? Confess your sins one to another so that you can be forgiven? No, so that you can be healed. The problem is a lot of us, we're, we're in the closet and we're holding on to these secret things and these secret grave clothes and we've got all these secret pets and things that we're afraid that people are gonna find out about because we're afraid that they're gonna judge us and we don't wanna be judged because then we'll be rejected and if we're rejected, then we'll feel shame, right? So we all fear rejection, we all fear shame, we all fear what people are gonna think, so then we just stay in bondage when the invitation from Jesus is to let your skeletons out of the closet and to dance at the party. 
The party of the unbecoming, the party of the forgiven, the party of the free, the party of the ones who know the resurrection and the life, who can dance in the freedom they found, not because they're worthy, not because they're triumphant, but because they've held on to Jesus, because they know the resurrected one has power over every addiction, over every bondage, and wants to set us free. And that's the invitation he sets before us, not just once, but each and every day. Choose life or choose death. Choose blessing or choose cursing. But just in case you haven't figured it out, choose the life. The biggest lie the devil tells us is that somehow those things give us power and make us feel good and and meet the needs that actually God created us to have met. The biggest distortion and perversion of the enemy is to always try to trick us into having what God has already given us through other means. What did he say in the garden? Is it true that God said if you ate like him, you would be like him? But what did God already say? You are like me. You have my image and my likeness in you. What does the enemy do? He just, he just likes to pervert. He just likes to distort the truth in our life. And so rather than hunger for the things that were meant to satisfy, we go grave digging. We dig up those old clothes. We put them back on because we think in them we have fulfillment. Jesus says, come out, Lazarus. Come out. Come out, come out, wherever you are. And go free. Be unbound. That's the choice. And that's the invitation. Can I tell you something? It might hurt for some of you to be honest with yourself. But I want to tell you this as your pastor. You can trust God with this stuff. And you can trust your brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you are like, yeah, but what if I do this and someone stabs me in the back? What if someone lets me down? What if someone knows my secret? Come on. Is freedom worth it or not? The invitation for all of us is to experience resurrection each and every day and to know the freedom that comes on the heels of that. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know that for some of you, you're like, oh, if I can just manage this thing, if I can just keep it a secret, if I can just deal with it, then I've got power over it. No, you don't. You're its slave and it's your master. Jesus says, choose this day whom you will serve. You can either serve God or you'll serve money. You can either serve God or you'll serve power. You can either serve God or you'll serve sexual addiction. You'll either serve God or you'll serve whatever it is. Fill in the blank. So serve God and live. Serve God and live. Choose life and live. Choose resurrection. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.